something like that, you know. All right, everyone, welcome to the Performante podcast, episode 24. In this podcast, we're going to get a little bit uh, quiet in the markets. There's a little bit less information than, I guess, in the previous podcast, but we'll still definitely talk about the institutional investors coming in, the bullishness overall, and the fundamentals. And then we're going to talk a little bit about, uh, not crypto, a little bit more on the IPOs. We're going to look at two different IPOs and talk a little bit about, I guess, more or less the fundamentals that they have, and then finish off with a micro strategy news story that is uh, hitting the hot press yet again. They've been in the news quite a bit, so cool to uh, talk about that company again. So I'll now pass it over on to Nathan. Hey everyone, welcome to the 24th episode. We're racking these up pretty quick. I thank you for tuning in. So jumping right into it, we have nerd words coming out of WordPress that they have an Ethereum plugin for managing their advertisements. It's called Ethereum Ads, and it allows content publishers to auction their advertisement space. This is all done using smart contracts, which is a super intuitive platform. That's not something that we've traditionally seen in this, let's call it maybe archaic market with the market leader being Google AdSense. Uh, Google AdSense only pays you 68% of your ad earnings. They take quite the hefty cut. But with this new Ethereum ads platform, they hand you a payout of 90%, which is significantly larger, much better for that individual who is hosting the ads. And it really looks like from this perspective that Ethereum ads is trying to take the aggressive position and steal some of that market share away from Google. Yeah, 20% is is massive if you're looking at it from a uh, return on your investment standpoint. So, yeah, seeing that adoption, seeing that utilization, seeing those smart contracts kind of take away friction that would otherwise be there, definitely really great to see. Moving oh, one last, uh, oh, sorry, just one last thing to tack on to is that a little sus thing that I've seen with Google is some fraudulent exchanges being listed on advertisements that will take you to phishing links. Uh, Google AdSense is running fraudulent crypto ads. So as you're navigating the internet, just a reminder, don't click on something that uh, looks like it could be correct. Always type in that address for yourself and really take those extra steps to protect yourself. Yeah, definitely. I even remember someone installing a Google Chrome extension that was, I believe, a wallet that was a phishing scam or some sort of scam that... It was a Ledger Live extension for their Ledger. Yeah, that's brutal. Yeah. That's unbelievable. On the, it was on the Google Chrome Web Store. How did they even get it there? Like, Man, that's suspect. Yeah, man. Yeah, that's... Uh, I'm surprised that they got it there. Like, You would assume that there's regulators looking at it, making sure these apps are legitimate before actually posting on their uh, marketplace. But uh, hopefully they learn their lesson. Yeah, Moving hopefully. on to the next topic is uh, Norwegians. Are, are actually uh, slowly accumulating BTC. And to get, to get a little bit more into it, the Oli Fund, which I believe is maybe correct, maybe not, controlled by the Norwegian government, gets allotted profits from their oil and other investments. And every Norwegian actually owns a part of this fund. And this fund actually recently purchased a stake in MicroStrategies, which we will talk about a little bit later in the podcast. But uh, in short... Every Norwegian citizen owns around 
115-ish in BTC, which is around $2. So not a lot. It was about $1 uh, earlier this summer. So it's stacking up pretty quickly. And uh, it's pretty interesting to see that an entire country is diversifying into cryptocurrencies and providing their citizens with a little bit of exposure in this new technology. Yeah, it's super interesting to see that the Norwegian, let's call it market connoisseurs are investing in MicroStrategy. And as a result, we are seeing that diversification to the entire nation. Super interesting. I bet most Norwegians don't even know it, but hey, they're stacking their sats in the background. So keeping it with the European vibe right now, we got a story coming out of Russia where Russia government officials must prepare to fully disclose all of their cryptocurrency holdings uh, before 2021. It has to be a report to Putin, uh, which is somewhat interesting here. Uh, and it looks like it's just a transparency mechanism because there is a similar mechanism with reporting stock holdings, equity purchases and sales, stuff like that. And uh, that's something you can actually track, at least for like the U.S. congressmen. You can see what they're buying, what they're selling, and kind of the overall market movement. So it'll be interesting to see if other countries like U.S., like Canada, are going to force their government officials to reveal their crypto. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see who or what politicians are holding what bags. Yeah, definitely. One thing I did see uh, somewhat related to Russia, but more pertaining to the actual regulations here. Um, as previously reported, the law firm or the law finally provides legal status for crypto, which is great, but prohibits crypto use as a payment instrument, which is kind of interesting. Um, so they're looking at it strictly as a store of value, not a currency at all. And I think that's where a lot of individuals are going is thinking about it from a currency into a store of value. So Pretty interesting to see uh, Russia actually kind of call out their officials. Kind of curious to see if any other countries are going to be doing anything similar. Kind of makes sense, uh, I guess, in the kind of privacy part of it and just making sure that uh, people are paying their taxes because the government will not allow you to not pay taxes. That is for sure. Now moving on to the next topic, a 169-year-old bank called or sorry, mutual fund, sorry, called Mass Mutual invests 100 million dollars in BTC. This company has been around, or this uh, mutual fund, Mass Mutual, has been around since 1851, and uh, we're seeing them completely adopt blockchain. They're not putting a significant amount within their uh, assets under management, around 0.04. Percent is the amount that they're actually investing in BTC, but still it's exposure. It is allocating a percentage of their portfolio in an asset that is brand new. So pretty unbelievable. We do see that institutional adoption is in demand, is growing, and uh, it's extremely prevalent. And we see that, uh, I guess we see that showcased more than ever with a company and a mutual fund as old as Mass Mutual. Yeah, it looks like this insurance company is just starting to get some exposure. They have almost $235 billion total as their assets under management. Um, and I, at least personally, I think this is the first time that I've heard an insurance company trying to get skin in the game. Uh, perhaps they're a little bit spooked of the looming pension crisis. Maybe they're afraid that they won't be able to pay out those pensions like we're seeing in so many states across America with all of them defaulting because 
too many people retiring, too many people claiming all that money at once, and just not enough liquidity to sustain it. Yeah, that's actually a, that's actually a topic we should talk about for another episode, like the pension crisis in the states, because that's definitely just happening in the background. I feel kind of away from the limelight. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, uh, I I would say they're having a major crisis because they are somewhat guaranteeing returns, and their entire structure of how the fund should be run is basically assuming that there's going to be a certain amount of return on a yearly basis and that accumulates and then they forecast what the fund will be at in terms of assets under management in X many years, right? And they're not hitting those targets and it's going to compound in the negative way and the opposite way that you want it to each year you're not hitting those targets. So they're in a really big hole right now and uh, a lot of people aren't talking about it. Real Vision, uh, Raul Paul definitely has a lot of information on that. So definitely would be a cool topic to talk about in another podcast. So uh, yeah, we should definitely do it maybe for the next podcast, maybe tonight. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, and so just on our next story coming out of Sweden, uh, it looks like the central bank is exploring the idea of a transition towards the e-krona. Um This is what is called a central bank digital currency, also known via the acronym CBDC. Uh, And basically, they are starting a review and exploring what the transition towards a digital currency would look like. And they want to wrap it up by November 2022, which still is a little bit of a far, like that data is still pretty far into the future. But I think given that China is basically launching testing and finalizing their CBDC, I think that's going to kick a lot of countries in the ass to drive them into gear and make um, make that transition a lot quicker because ultimately any nation's going to be like, yo, if China's doing it, we got to do it. Yeah, dude, it, it really is. And I think that we're seeing a lot of those uh, kind of neighboring countries implement some sort of blockchain and within like the Southeast Asia countries, Tiger Nations, I believe they're called, are actually implementing some sort of blockchain and, and trying to keep up to date, I guess you could say, with the financial world that is ever so shifting quickly. Um, one thing that I did note um, is usually all it takes is two or three people that are extremely influential who see the positive attributes and, and value that blockchain and cryptocurrencies can provide. Um, so in um, in Sweden, there really is only really one major governor, Stefan Ingives, and he's the one who expresses confidence that the e-krona should be issued by the central bank and to be recognized as a legal tender. So it doesn't need an entire, it doesn't have to take an entire nation to all unanimously agree. All it takes is a few influential people to agree that this should be a good idea. And uh, with the political uh, environment changing, especially like in the US, for example, I think that we will see people who are more friendly with crypto get into power, get into roles of influence, and then change the laws in order to make it more crypto-friendly for everyone. Yeah, fingers crossed that's what the future has in hold for us. Uh, Just one last thought to kind of wrap up this Sweden story is that with China rapidly progressing towards their digital one and the U.S. dollar showing signs that it's beginning to fail at an accelerating rate, and with China's ramping economic growth, it'll be interesting to see if this transition towards the digital yuan is a fundamental catalyst to kind of 
swing them into the contestant for next global reserve currency. Because if they've already got a strong currency, strong economy, and now they're digitizing it while the U.S. is failing to make any monumental moves, mm -hmm. that's kind of like a natural swing of power, I think. Yeah, definitely. In the SWIFT system that the U.S. currently has, they have complete control over. And, and yes, China will have complete control over their currency. But if they're able to provide a more efficient, effective, cheaper way to transact currency or, or dollars or really anything um, that involves transactions of currency with like a commodity, maybe. Well, a lot of people are going to use the more efficient, effective, cheaper method. And that would be the digital one instead of the SWIFT system that the US dollar currently is running under. So it's not just, I would say, the impact that the dollar has, but also how user friendly it is and how frictionless, how frictionless it is to transact on a global scale. So if you're having that done through blockchain, it's obviously going to be much quicker, much cheaper, and uh, an overall better experience. It's just a matter of does the uh, world trust China, basically. So we'll see how it plays out. We do see some other countries uh, transacting in BTC, Iran, Turkey, and one other country we talked about, I don't exactly remember. Venezuela. Venezuela, that's what it is. Yeah, so they're transacting commodities, oil, primarily using, using BTC that they've mined. So it's pretty interesting to see that if countries that are unable to use the US dollar are transacting in BTC, how that kind of challenges the digital one because if a lot of countries or some countries can't use the digital one, are they still gonna be using BTC to transact? So if that's the case, obviously the market share is gonna be increasing and there's gonna be more decentralization and more demand for the cryptocurrencies. So overall, really positive uh, outlook in my opinion for that. Now onto the next topic here. We're gonna be talking about two different IPOs, Airbnb and DoorDash. We do see that uh, DoorDash went public on the New York Stock Exchange on Wednesday, selling 33 million shares at 102 US dollars a piece. The value of the company is $39 billion. So it's pretty unbelievable. And uh, we've been talking about this for a while, talking about zombie companies, talking about the fact that a lot of these corporations like Uber, WeWork, DoorDash, Airbnb, they're not making lots of money. They're not they're not extremely profitable, right? But the use case is significant. They're getting a lot of users and there's a lot of hype and interest surrounding it. So they're able to rack up the debt, kind of like the US government. They'll look at that and say, hey, they have a tremendous amount of debt. They're still functioning fine. Why can't we do that? So then they just dust the exorbitant amount of debt under the rug and then continue operations because money is so cheap, interest rates are continuing to stay at basically 0%. So there's no need, right? There's no need to pay it off. If interest rates rises, that's gonna be an issue. It's gonna be harder for individuals to, uh, or I guess companies that are zombie companies to actually acquire funds. So then they're not gonna be able to survive or um, be able to continue the hyper growth that they've been seeing. Yeah, at some point it's unsustainable. And basically I think the key catalyst that's gonna, let's say put a lot of these zombie companies into the grave is gonna be a change in the interest rate paradigm. If we see it between like that zero and 0.25% base points that we're currently at, then yes, these zombie companies can continue to survive. And I was gonna say thrive, but that's probably not the right word because none of them have made a single cent in profit. They're all reinvesting into revenue, but you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's built on a glass, glass deck of cards, it kind of feels, with these tech companies that are getting greedy, seeking the investor FOMO to 
fill their own pockets. Yeah, they're employees. They're going to get paid. They're going to get bonuses. They have shares from the company's inception that they're selling at exorbitantly high prices, which uh, obviously for them, they're reaping the rewards. So at the end of the day, if you are investing in these companies, you are way later than the line that you're entering. You have to understand that. You have to understand the risks that come with it and uh, value kind of the, the risk reward and see if it's worth it to you because at these prices, it's, it's a significant amount of money and it's a huge market cap for the actual profitability of the companies. And to kind of give you a little bit of numbers here, let's say the average DoorDash order was $32.90 this year, which it was. The restaurant gets around $20 of that, the driver gets around $8 of that, and then DoorDash cut is around 15 to 20% uh, of that order after the $20 cut, so it'd be $12 minus eight, so around $4, so around $4 of, uh, of the actual order, which is not a lot, right? So then they actually have to pay for the uh, exposure, the marketing, the actual platform itself, acquire new drivers, acquire new customers, and that's just reinvesting right into the company. So the actual shareholders don't really get a whole lot of profit at the end. So that's just a little, quick little breakdown of the uh, actual profit they get per meal, I guess you could say, which isn't a lot, right? It, it, it really isn't, especially if they're hyper growing at the rate that they are. So uh, last topic of the day, we're going to be going back to MicroStrategies because they've recently completed a $650 million bond sale to finance the next Bitcoin purchase. Pretty unbelievable. What are your thoughts yeah, on that, Nathan? It feels like just two or three days ago, we were talking about them wanting to sell... I believe it was $450 million in these bonds to fund their next Bitcoin purchase. And it, it was $400 million. And they overshot it by $250 million because I guess there was just that big of a demand, uh, which is just absolutely unbelievable that MicroStrategy is going this deep into Bitcoin. Michael Saylor said its company was sitting on 500 million melting ice cube of cash implying that constant devaluation that's been happening with the effect on purchase power as the supply goes up uh, and as of right now they are currently sitting on 40,824 bitcoin uh, so basically they're gonna just under double that because their current holdings are worth 734 million and they're buying 650 million more um, one thing that's interesting to note is that their average buy-in price is probably high as fuck because I believe most of their purchases were made between 18 and 20K. Uh, so if there is some volatility on Bitcoin and we see a retraction, it'll be interesting to see how the market perceives MicroStrategy's performance and uh, if the stock dump dumps because investors are losing confidence in Michael Saylor's big bet on the cryptocurrency Bitcoin. Yeah, it'll definitely be interesting to see if there is some volatility to the downside with BTC. But the fact that institutional investors are now coming in at these prices is pretty uh, unbelievable. But it just, in, in, to me, shows that 18 grand is not something to be fearing away from if you're dollar cross averaging if you're looking for longs in a swing trade even if you're looking to invest really any sort of money we do see that institutional investors people who have built their careers through financial markets are still looking at btc and thinking 18.4 
that looks good to me. You know what I mean? So uh, <laughs> that definitely shows a lot of, not promise, but I would say it shows the fact that BTC still has a significant amount of upside to go. And it's not just us who are thinking it. There's a lot of people in the financial space who are now turning into BTC as a store of value, as a hedge against inflation, hedge against currency proliferation, and uh, all around a hedge against uncertainty, fear, um, and mainly it's going to be the U.S. dollar, I think. Um, I think that's going to be the big play. As the U.S. dollar goes down, BTC and other cryptos are going to go up. And then at a later point, I think the alts will uh, have a big run up due to the actual functionalities that alts are able to provide that BTC just is not. Yeah, right. That's the whole thing with the crypto ecosystem is you can provide diverse products beyond just Bitcoin. I think Bitcoin is largely going to remain as a perceived store of value because realistically alternate projects can transact much better or even looking at Ethereum, it can be programmed much better than Bitcoin. Um, so a lot of the value that comes from crypto really comes when you dive a little bit deeper down the rabbit hole. Yeah, I definitely agree. I'd say like BTC's the most basic form of like a store value, which it does very well in. But at the end of the day, blockchain can do so much more than just be a store value. So definitely I'd say BTC is going to be the store value. No one truly knows, there's no guarantees in life. But in terms of how it's perceived by the institutions, the retail traders, it is the gold 2.0 in the digital world. So then I view it as a store of value, a hedge against inflation. And then the more speculative smaller cap coins are the more functionality, the usability, the adoption into like supply chain management, or there's so many different applications that BTC and, or not BTC, but blockchain could be implemented in. But I think that's where the massive explosion is gonna be for adoption. But uh, in terms of the hedge against inflation, I would say BTC is more or less the sole provider of the uh, inflation hedge, whereas alts are more in the speculation. It's more like, not penny stocks, but like hot tech stocks that are still very early. Kind of like the internet boom, where yes, you do have some stocks that started in the 90s and now are monsters. Google is one of them, right? Or huge. Amazon is another one. Massive, right? But more or less, a lot of them are not going to be able to succeed. And I think that's, that is what's going to happen to alts. There will be, let's say, one or two that are definitely very significant. Ethereum, BTC, I'd say BNB is a very good one. Chainlink's a very good one. Um, but at the end of the day, we just have to look at the price action, play it out, and uh, it's a speculation, right? But I'd say BTC and Ethereum should be within a portfolio of anyone who is uh, wanting to get some sort of exposure in crypto. And ultimately, those are the two largest cap, the two that you can rely on the most heavily for within the cryptocurrency space. Uh, and I believe that is a good place to end episode 24. Uh, thanks for tuning in. We had a diverse bunch of topics to talk about today. I appreciate your time. And I'll pass it off to Keith to wrap it all up. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening. Really appreciate it. We'll be uh, making a TA video here this weekend. So then we can uh, provide you with some information on what our outlook is for BTC, the dollar, some of the stocks or ETFs or index funds that we're going to be looking at. Don't exactly know what we're going to cover then. But at the end of the day, we definitely want to provide value to you and provide you with our opinions on how the market is looking, the sentiment, and if global investors are looking to seek speculative investments or 
scaring away, getting fearful, getting uh, uncertain. So uh, we'll keep you updated. Thank you very much for listening. And like always, if you have any questions about the markets and regarding crypto or like how to manage hardware wallets, how to transact BTC, all that stuff, definitely join the Discord so uh, you can ask questions. Never hurts to get a second opinion and uh, hope we hope to see you there. Until next time, have a good one, traders.